What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Finn Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony John Deletti. If it's your first time here on the Finn Sports Football Podcast, welcome. Glad to have you here. If it's not your first time, welcome back. Always appreciate the support. Always appreciate your time. And today, uh, I want to talk about the rookie class of 2021 and the expectations that I personally have for them. Um, what I would consider success, what I would consider failure, uh, if there is such thing as in, in a rookie year, which, you know, I guess if you're a Curtis Weaver and you get cut before the season starts, that's failure. But I, I wanted to go over my expectations uh, for the rookie class of 2021. I'm going to be going all the way from Jer- uh, Jalen Waddle through Jared Dokes. But before we get into that, uh, I read an article this morning. It's kind of circulating around Dolphins. Uh, Twitter, uh, basically anyone that follows the Dolphins has read this article, and it was published yesterday by Peter King. Uh, not sure why he published it on Mother's Day, which, out you know, to everyone out there listening, if you're a mom listening to this, happy Mother's Day. You guys are the true heroes, uh, especially in my life. My mother was always someone who sacrificed a lot for me uh, so I could do what I wanted to do in life, as well as my father, but you know, celebrating mothers. You guys are the real superheroes and just wanted to wish all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day. Hope you guys had a great day. And if, you know, you're a husband or a son listening to this, hope you guys uh, gave your wife or your mom the best Mother's Day that you could. But um, yeah, so anyways, uh, Peter King posted an article yesterday. And Peter King, if you haven't, uh, if you're not familiar with his work, Peter King to me, uh, as far as beat writers go, as far as um, analysts, Peter King to me is at the top. He is a guy that, again, I say this so many times about, uh, you know, many people in the media, just because you may not agree with everything they write, doesn't mean that they're not good at what they do. And Peter King's one of those guys for me where, yeah, sometimes I don't agree with what he writes about. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, I have a different feeling about that. But the thing I love about Peter King is he's very um, calculated in everything he writes about and talks about. He doesn't come out of there with, you know, out of left field with crazy takes like Skip Bayless, Colin Coward, those type of people. When he speaks, it's usually coming from a place of knowledge where he's gotten information from leak sources or whoever it may be. And he's very calculated in what he says um, about the NFL. And so Peter King's is a guy similar to Bucky Brooks, where when he speaks or writes, I listen. Doesn't mean I agree with it, but when he speaks, I listen. And so Peter King this morning, um, actually yesterday, came out with an article that talked about the Dolphins draft, um, mainly in regards to them trading to 12 and then back up to six. And he talks about that. Uh, as well as talking to Brian Flores about Tua Tungavailoa. So as far as the draft is concerned, let's let's talk about that first. He talked to Greer, and Greer said, you know, starting from the beginning, it began in March 3rd, John Lynch called me, uh, and we said, we're open and we'll listen. And in less than a month, uh, the Dolphins were able to turn that third-round pick into, you know, future first-round picks and a third-round pick. And they go on to talk about how the deal was made. Uh, John Lynch talked about Chris Greer uh, with with very high respect. Uh, And he basically said that, um, I'm trying to find the exact quote 
where uh, he talks about it. He says, I love dealing with Chris. This is John Lynch, the general manager for the 49ers. I love ta- I love dealing with Chris. He's not emotional about it, and his word is everything. Chris is a rock. And that's something that I've noticed when people talk about Chris Greer is they, they constantly say how he was easy to work with and how he really listens and he's respectful of you know what they're asking for. And that's something in a general manager that you need to have. You can't be one of those general managers that is a pain in the ass to work with. Excuse my language, but you can't be one of those general managers that's a pain in the ass to work with. You have to be someone who, not saying you won't command a lot or you're going to lose every trade, but as Chris Greer says, he talks about you know winning and losing a trade. He said it's never about winning a trade. It's about being open, honest, and working toward getting a deal done uh, that both sides feel good about. And that's something, that's another reason why Chris Greer is so good at what he does and why he's becoming one of the best general managers in the league is because of stuff like that. He he understands what teams need. He, he doesn't put the emotion in it. He's just very calculated. Hey, this is what we want until we get what we want. You know, we're, we're not going to lead you guys on. And that's something that, you know, some general managers out there do. They'll say, yeah, two first round picks. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Changed my mind. We're out. We don't want two first round picks. That's not what Chris Greer does. Uh, John Lynch talked about, uh, or Peter King talked about in the article, how John Lynch offered Chris Greer two first round picks, and Chris Greer said, you know, we'll think about it. And in Chris Greer's mind, he knew, yeah, that's not good enough. But but that's something that's respectful by Chris Greer. He didn't say, yeah, we're good. You know, let me just talk it over with the guys. We're good. No, he said, you know, let me think about it. Talk it over with my guys. And he came back and said, you know, we want a third round pick on top of that. And John Lynch was like, man, that's that's high. But look, you guys know what you have in the third round pick. We'll give it to you. That's something that's so crucial for Chris Greer to, to do. And it's such a humble aspect to have. He's not trying to be out here cocky. Look at me. I, I got so many first round picks for Laramie Tunsil. I'm the best. No. He's like, look, I know you guys want the pick. I know you want the pick at three. So uh, two two first round picks is great. Can we just get a third round pick and make it a call today? They agreed with it. Yeah, it was a lot to ask for, but they agreed with it. Both sides were respectful and they got the deal done. And something interesting that uh, was, was written about in this article, uh, Chris Greer talks about, you know, as soon as you guys traded back to 12, you know, how... How quickly did you guys know that you wanted to move back up? And Chris Greer, uh, I'm trying to find exactly where he says in it, but Chris Greer basically said that it was instantly. You know, he says, I'm trying to find the exact uh, tweet or tweet. I'm trying to find the exact quote. He says, right away, Brian was like, if we do this and we go down to 12, we need to figure a way to get back up into the top 10. So I love seeing that aggression from the head coach. I love seeing that, 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 Brian Flores was like, look, I want to put my quarterback in the best position to win. And if we are going to get him a playmaker, we're not going to get the best one in our minds at 12. He talks about Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle a lot, saying we didn't feel like either of them would be there at 12. And they weren't. You know, Jalen Waddle was taken six um, and Devontae Smith was taken 10. The Eagles traded up to take him ahead of the Giants because if they didn't, the Giants were going to. So they read the draft perfectly, um, and you know I, I heard a lot of people say that Jamar Chase was number one on their board. I highly doubt that. Maybe talent-wise, yeah, he was number one on their board, but I don't think the Dolphins were ever going to take Jamar Chase, even if he was available to them. 
they constantly in this article talk about Smith and Waddle, Smith and Waddle. Because if your quarterback played with Smith and Waddle, shouldn't they be the highest on your board? So I, I, I just loved seeing that aggression in Brian Flores where he's like, look, I don't want to be one of those teams that's just trying to stockpile a bunch of picks. I may have to give up a first round to get up to six, but I, I don't want to be this guy who's just trying to accumulate draft picks and play for the future. I'm trying to I'm trying to get good talent right now. I'm trying to trade up. I'm trying to get the best of the best, the guys that we want. And he talks about that. You know, yes, he likes to think about the present now, but also, you know, Chris Greer has to kind of remind him of the future. You know, let's try to build a winner. And I think that trade, those two trades were the perfect balance of let's trade back. And then let's trade forward so that we have some for the future, but we have assets for the present. Um, so I really thought that was really cool. I think it's really cool to see the Dolphins getting a lot of respect in the national media. Um, that's not something that we got really since I've been alive. I'm turning 23 next month. I'm a young Dolphin fan. I've never experienced Dolphins uh, winning Dolphins football. Uh, my earliest rem- memory of football is like 1 in 15. The Joey Porter, the Cam Cameron, that's my earliest memories of football. So I never got to experience Dolphins winning football. You know, the closest I got to that was Adam Gase, 10 and 6. And, you know, after we went 10 and 6, there was no media attention. There was no national media attention because they knew that's not sustainable the way they won. But we're getting so much media attention now because they know that they're building a sustainable winner. And while I still need to see more, because I need the Dolphins to at least go 10 and 6 this next year. You know, that's how I'm going to say okay, they're they're building a winner here. While I still need to see that, I think it's pretty clear and obvious that the Dolphins are building something better here than we have seen in the last 20 years. And it's nice to see people like Peter King who, you know, whatever they say is usually like gold. When when they talk about the Dolphins in a way that's not negative and they talk about them in such a positive way, I really appreciate that. And the last thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the rookies is Tua Tungavailoa. Um, Flores, talking about Tua, said, uh, this is a long quote. I'll read the whole thing because I don't, I don't like to just read quotes. I like to give you the whole context. Flores was asked about, you know, if is the guy, they're rebuilding around him. They have draft capital to get a quarterback possibly in 2023. And Flores said this, I never like to put it on one player. I think we've got a lot of young players and we're looking for all those players as we all as, as really everyone on our team to improve in a variety of ways. If they're putting in the work, I expect them to improve, get better and perform better. Tua is obviously at the top of that list. He's been working and all signs point to or I would say based on my experience, he's doing everything necessary to make improvements. That's really all we can ask for. My thing is if you put in the work, the results will take care of themselves. Then the most important part of this quote, he talks about last year and two of the only reason there's negative, there's criticism about him and dolphins need to replace him. Dolphins need to get rid of Tua. He's not going to work. The only reason for that is the benching. And it's a shame that Brian Flores had to come out and say this because it's common sense to at least people like me. I don't know, you know, about other people, but he says last year's situation is this, and we've talked about it numerous times. If he had started the season, we wouldn't have pulled him. Right there, let's just stop. If they, if this, if he starts the season, the team knows Tua is the guy. 
But when you start Ryan Fitzpatrick, because Tua got injured in college and you have to redshirt him for a little bit, when Ryan Fitzpatrick starts, the team's mindset is now, whatever changes you make at quarterback, I expect it to help us win. So when they put Tua in there, the team is now thinking, I expect Tua to help us win and give us a better chance of winning than Fitzpatrick. So if Brian Flores wants to not lose the locker room, if Tua ever struggles, you have to put in the guy that's going to help the team win. Because you did it, you took out Fitz to put Tua in there. If Tua starts the season, you're not pulling Tua. Because at the end of the day, whatever happens with Tua, good or bad, that's what it's been from the jump. But when you put Ryan Fitzpatrick in there, the team now expects, if you change quarterback once, I expect you to do it again if it's going to better the team. So Brian Flores, like he says here, if Tua would have started the season, you're not pulling him. You have to pull him so you don't lose the locker room. And, you know, it's really upsetting to me because I talked about this on a podcast two or, you know, two or three podcasts ago. I talked about how the notion that Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing like MVP football when he got benched is completely wrong. He played six games. He went three and three, 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's not that good. Not just three and three, but but 10 and seven. Tua in six games had nine touchdowns and one interception. Through his first, or no, through his first six games, he had eight touchdowns and one interception. Ryan Fitzpatrick through his first six games had 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's horrible compared to eight touchdowns, one interception. And so this notion that like Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing lights out football, he wasn't. Ryan Fitzpatrick won every game that he won for the same reason Tua did. They either played competition that wasn't as good as them, their defense played really well, and Tua didn't turn the ball over. If you look at every game Ryan Fitzpatrick played in, that's the only reason they won. Let's go through them real quick, shall we? The Patriots game. Three turnovers, defense played okay. You turn the ball over three times, you lost by 10 points. That's horrible. Three turnovers, you can't do that. Bills game. He played pretty well. Two touchdowns, one interception. Defense didn't play well. Doesn't matter how good he played. When your defense doesn't play well and gives up 31 points, you're not going to win many games. The Jaguars, right? Congrats. Ryan Fitzpatrick beat the Jaguars, who only won one game last year. Good job. Your defense played really well. You had two touchdowns. Against the Jets, threw three touchdowns and two interceptions, but the defense pitched a shutout. So if your defense is not allowing any points, you're probably going to win every single time. And then the 49ers game, as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick played, the reason they won that game is because they embarrassed Jimmy G on national television. And you can sit here and say all you want about Fitz. If Tua would have played all six of those games, the Dolphins would have been 3-3 three and three at the bye week, just like with Fitz. If Tua had come out, they would not have lost to the Jets. They would not have lost to the Jaguars. And they would have beat the 49ers for the same reason that Fitz did. They embarrassed Jimmy G. It was like 31-10. to 10, And then they got another late touchdown. Game was over. So, again, like, this notion that Tua got benched because Ryan Fitzpatrick was so much better, no, he didn't. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a relief pitcher. He's best when the expectations are not set for him and when he could come in and play for a bench Tua, he did well. 
One game, he threw a crucial interception that lost it for us. The other game, he had a miracle touchdown that won it for us. Or, or a miracle pass that won it for us. So, you know, I'm re- that, that's why I'm really confident in Tua. Because I know, look, the only reason the media is so hard on him is because he got benched. And he only got benched because the team was good, and that's not his fault. In fact, he was part of why the team was good. Because he didn't have a lot of turnovers. He played well. He did what he was supposed to do as a rookie. He helped the team win. And that's not his fault that he got benched just so you could put a 16-year vet in there who is best when he comes off the bench, when he's a relief pitcher. So that's where my optimism from Tua comes in. I trust that he's going to progress, and I know that this team's success is highly dependent on his success and his growth. But that's where my that's where my opinion of Tua comes in. You know, I saw Justin Herbert last year lose 45-0 against the Patriots. 49% completion rating, 209 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Couldn't even get his fee, his team into field goal range. And like I tweeted with this same exact stat, it's not to say Justin Herbert sucks. What I'm trying to say is every rookie struggles. Every rookie has those games where they're not so hot. But Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, when that happened, they didn't get benched because their team wasn't going anywhere. Tua... If you don't bench him, your team's going to turn on you because they're like, what's the point? You're, you're, you're losing us games so that you could prove a point with your quarterback. So that's just my, my thought on two is if, if he wouldn't have gotten benched last year, we wouldn't be having this conversation about Tua. We wouldn't, we would have said Tua went six and three as a starter, started all games healthy aside from the thumb game, which again, that's a thumb injury that happens to anyone. We're not having the same conversation about Tua if he doesn't get benched. So overall, you know, I just really appreciate the article. I love the insight that we got from Brian Flores and Chris Greer. And I hope that moving forward, you know, the Dolphins can continue to show people that we are going to be a good team for a long time. Now let's get into 18 and a half minutes later, what I wanted to talk about on the podcast. And that is the expectations that I have for the rookie class. So let's start off first with Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle taking sixth overall. Um, typically, when you take a receiver that high, the expectations are pretty much cut out for you. When you get taken above Penny Sewell, above Devontae Smith, sixth overall, the expectations are set for you. We expect you to be good. We expect you to have an immediate impact. And we expect you to be a guy that we can rely on on this team for the next five to six years at least. So... Jalen Waddle really has his work cut out for him, but let's first start off with awards, right? Because Offensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year are usually a good sign of showing if your quarterback, offensive playmaker, defensive playmaker is going to be good. Um, Do I expect Jalen Waddle to win Offensive Rookie of the Year? No. I never will ever bet any other type of position except quarterback to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Because last year, I saw Justin Jefferson have the best rookie season by a wide receiver we've seen in a long time, and he didn't win because Justin Herbert had a good season too. So with five quarterbacks being taken in the first round, you know, we had Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, Mac Jones, with five quarterbacks being taken and all five of them having great chances to to play a lot of games this year, I'm not going to say Jalen Waddell has a shot at Offensive Rookie of the Year. Even Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. Like, 
they would have to do so much to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, considering last year a guy who had 1,400 yards receiving as a rookie didn't win Offensive Rookie of the Year. So if any of the rookie quarterbacks have any resemblance of a good season, they're going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. It would take Jalen Waddle so much to, to even be considered for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, especially then you consider he's in an offense and on a team that is based around defense and RPO, where Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase are going to be asked to have way heavier of a, of a workload, I would say his his odds of winning Offensive Rookie of the Year are very low, to be honest. Now, as far as stats, I always have an issue with stats because with wide receivers, it's such a dependent position on the quarterback. If your wide receiver is wide open and he doesn't get the ball thrown to him, does that mean he's bad or does that just mean he didn't get targeted? So for me with Jalen Waddle, I kind of have an issue with, you know, projecting stats. But for me, what I would expect and what I consider a good season for Jalen Waddle, I averaged his um, I averaged his yardage at 45 yards a game um, just to be play safe, like 45, 50 yards a game. So I would expect him to have about 750 to 850 receiving yards and one touchdown every three games. So I expect him to have 800 yards, let's call it between 750 and 850, 800 yards, five to six touchdowns, 45, 50 catches. That's what I would say is a good season for Jalen Waddle in his rookie campaign. But the thing I care more so about is does the guy seem to have an impact? Because I care more so about that than stats. Because as I said, if a guy's wide open, but the ball isn't thrown his way, that's not his fault. That doesn't mean he's not good. But if I watch Jalen Waddle and I see, oh, this dude is dynamic. He's explosive. He's he's the exact same player we saw in college. That's how I'm going to say, yeah, he's a success in his rookie year. If he goes out there and he looks slower than other people, which I don't anticipate at all, but if he's getting pushed around, if he plays small, then I'm going to be like, okay, I, I, I'm, I don't really, I'm, I'm not feeling this right now. I don't anticipate that happening though. I think Jalen Waddle is going to come out. He's going to have a good um, impact on this team. Because again, remember, it's not all on him. Yes, he's a slot wide receiver, but Devontae Parker, if he can remain healthy now that he's not wide receiver one, he can be dominant. Will Fuller, again, another guy that's going to command a lot of tension. Mike Gesicki, like Jalen Waddle has a good chance of, of having an impact on this team. So for me, what I care more so about and what I expect from him is be explosive, make plays, get yards after catch. And then as far as stats, again, somewhere around the neighborhood or ballpark of 50 catches, 800 yards, five touchdowns. That would be good enough for me. That would be like, I would consider it, okay, check mark, good season. Next, let's talk about Jalen Phillips. Because Jalen Phillips, while we talked about offensive rookie for Waddle, Phillips to me has by far the greatest chance to win defensive rookie of the year. Typically, this award, like with quarterbacks, is, is heavy with edge rushers. Typically, you see the Chase Youngs, the Nick Bosa's get this award. So Jalen Phillips, just by default, is going to have a better chance of winning this than someone like Micah Parsons or, you know, Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, J.C. Horn, just because he plays the edge position. On top of that, you add that he's playing for the best defensive coach 
out of all of those players I mentioned, yeah, that's a recipe for success. Um, so I fully anticipate Jalen Phillips. If he could stay healthy the whole entire season, I would give him the best odds to win rookie of the year over Micah Parsons. Uh, cause Micah Parsons is on a team with, uh, Vander Esch and, um, what's his name? Jalen Smith. I believe he's on a team that has uh, a lot of linebackers already. So Jalen Phillips is going to be on a team that has the best defensive coordinator, the best defensive coach, the best defensive roster, and the best cornerbacks, which is going to give him more time to rush the the quarterback. So I anticipate him. I would expect or love if he won offensive rookie of the year, and I think he has the highest chances of doing so. As far as stats, again, like that's that's a hard thing. If he's creating pressure, just like with Jalen Waddle, if Jalen Waddle's explosive, if Jalen Phillips is creating a lot of pressure, that's good. Because, you know, Chase Young won Defensive Rookie of the Year. He only had seven and a half sacks. That's not a crazy amount. But when you watch the game, it was like, yeah, he was always pressuring the quarterback. So for me, successful season for Jalen Phillips would be somewhere around, you know, seven to eight. 10 sacks that'd be phenomenal seven to ten sacks would be awesome um especially 10 like that would be crazy good um but but the main thing i want to see from jalen phillips one stay healthy and two uh just create pressure because that's something the dolphins didn't get last year sacks to me are very overrated if you can pressure a quarterback that's going to make their life way harder yes sacks are great and i love sacks but sacks are you know again uh, if a guy takes 30 snaps a game at edge, you know, if he takes 30 snaps a game and he gets one sack, what about the other 29? Something Flores talks about all the time. What does he do with the majority of his snaps? Does he create pressure? Does he set the edge well? So those are the things I'm going to be looking for with Jalen Phillips. Mainly staying healthy, but also can he be disruptive in the run game and in the passing game? Stats-wise, yeah, I would love as many sacks as possible, but I'm looking for the eye test. Does he look the part? And I think he will, and I think he has the best chances to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Now, Javon Holland. Javon Holland is another guy like Jalen Waddell. Works cut out for him because your team just cut the guy that you were there to replace. Before you've taken a snap in practice, they were like, yep, Bobby McCain's out. Now, will, will McCourty replace Bobby McCain at first? Possibly. But at the end of the day, Javon Holland is here to play prominent role at either nickel corner, safety, whatever it may be. He's here to play a prominent role. Um, Javon Holland, I don't know safety-wise what stats would be. But the thing I want to see from him and what I expect to see from him, I want, I want to see some explosiveness in the punt return game. Because that's a huge dynamic of his game. So if we get rid of Jakeem Grant, I expect Javon Holland to have a big role in the punt return game. Um, or Robert Foster, you know, if they really want to play Javon Holland, at a, if they think he's the next best thing, then maybe you don't put him at punt return, you know, because of injury. But I expect Javon Holland, I just, again, I want to see what I saw in 2019. I want to see what made me rate him as my number one safety. I want to see the instincts. I want to see the speed and the the tackling. I want to see his coverage ability. I want to see the ball hawk ability that he has, similar to Xavier Howard. I want to see those things. Now, he hasn't played in a whole year. So with any opt-out from last year, you want to make sure that they are the guy you saw in 2019. 
But my expectations for Javon Holland is I expect to see him used in a lot of different areas. Nickel, safety, maybe even some blitzing with linebacker. But I want to see some ball hawk ability. I want to see some wow plays from him because that's what I saw in college. And I honestly think if he would have played another season with the production he gave you in 2019 and the growth he could have had easily in 2020, we would have been talking about him as a first round pick in my opinion. Some people did. Some people like me, I I thought that Javon Holland could have been a first round pick. So that's what I anticipate and expect and would hope Javon Holland gives you in year one. Some punt return ability, but I want to see the versatility. I want to speed the sp- I want to see the speed and aggression, and I want to see the instincts. Um, and, and again, like ball hawk, that's that's the name of the game for him. He is a ball hawk, I believe. So I want to see those types of things from him. Now with Liam Eichenberg, um, I'm not sure where they're going to play him. I think it's pretty clear that he should play a tackle because that's his natural position. But I understand he would be moving from left to right tackle. However, with Liam Eikenberg, I think he's such a solid tackle. Like, he's one of those guys where you know what you're getting with him. I would just love to see them play him at right tackle and him just be solid there. Like, I would love to see that. And that's what I expect. I expect him to put Liam Eikenberg at right tackle, Robert Hunt at right guard, and instantly Robert Hunt should make Liam Eikenberg better at tackle. Because Robert Hunt is a Pro Bowl right guard. Potentially. Potential-wise, Robert Gunt has elite potential at the guard position. So, by moving him into right guard, I believe you can make Liam Meikenberg better. And the thing I want to see from Liam Meikenberg is two things. One, can you be reliable? And two, are you going to have impact, simply put, are you going to have uh, impact at making this offensive line better? If he's a guy that is reliably consistent game in and game out, Good pick. Great job. Awesome. Thumbs up. So what I expect from Leon Meikenberg, I expect him to be tough, physical. I expect him to compete for a starting job on the right tackle spot. And whether he starts day one or, you know, kind of weaves his way in there after a couple weeks, I expect him to be a consistent, reliable uh, tackle option that is going to inevitably be made better by Robert Hunt moving into right guard. So next up, we have Hunter Long. I've laid out my expectations for Hunter Long. I might be higher on him than most. That's okay to me. Um, it's okay if, you know, I, I, I'm higher on a guy than you are. It's completely fine. I expect Hunter Long to be tight end one, day one. Now, some of you, again, let me clarify that because some people might be like, what did he just say? Did he just say that tight that Hunter Long should be tight end one over Mike Kosicki? Last year, week one, Durham Smythe was tight end one over Mike Kosicki because Mike Kosicki is not a traditional tight end. So you can play both. You can have both of them as starters. I expect Hunter Long to be tight end one for the Dolphins week one. He's going to be the guy that plays that traditional tight end role and Mike Kosicki will start doing what he does. Slot, that type of basically tight end wide receiver hybrid. That's what I expect. Hunter Long will be the day one starter at your traditional tight end position over Adam Shaheen and Durham Smythe. And Mike Isicki will be your traditional hybrid tight end starter. We saw that last year. Shouldn't be a shocker. Um, Hunter Long is a guy, again, great blocking, great hands, uh, faster and more athletic than you think. 
One of those guys that on third and three is going to get you four yards and annoy the defense. Not going to wow you with his athleticism, but he's definitely a guy that is going to shock people with his athleticism because they're not going to think he's a Mike Kosicki, but he's going to go out there and do some pretty good stuff, I believe. So my expectations for Hunter Long is to be tight end one, week one, and I expect him, again, stat-wise, I don't know, but... I expect him, I want to see reliability in the run game. I want to see good hands in the pass game. And I expect him to play that role of, you know, again, I use the phrase all the time, this this situation, because I saw Jason Witten and I see Travis Kelsey and George Kittle do it all the time. It's third and four or third and three, and you need four yards. And all of a sudden, you're so worried about Mike Kosicki, Will Fuller, and Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker You forgot Hunter Long is just sitting there in zone coverage waiting for a four-yard curl route. The defense isn't worried about him, so he gains it, runs about four yards, and now you just got an eight-yard gain on third and five or third and four, whatever it may be. That's the type of tight end that Hunter Long is, and I want that tight end. I want that tight end that annoys defenses because they just forget about him. And if he can, again, if Hunter Long can transition into that type of tight end, and then you keep Mike Kosicki, and then you have to worry about him, and then Jalen Waddle, and then Will Fuller, and Devontae Parker. I mean, my goodness. So I, I have high expectations for Hunter Long because, you know, I think there's a realistic possibility that he replaces even Mike Kosicki next year. If they don't want to pay Mike Kosicki, and Hunter Long has a great rookie season, and the Dolphins want to transition, uh, excuse me, sorry about that. If they want to transition more to that 12 personnel, and have two tight ends on the field in Adam Shaheen and Hunter Long that don't telegraph run or pass, you can get rid of your other two tight ends that telegraph what you're doing. Durham Smythe telegraphing the run, Mike Kosicki telegraphing the pass. Not saying I want Mike Kosicki gone. I'm just saying if Hunter Long can have a good rookie season and the Dolphins decide to transition more into that traditional tight end role, you know, that that's a realistic possibility and that's something that could happen. Not saying I want it to, just something that could happen. So again, for Hunter Long, I just want him to be that reliable safety net uh for Tua Tunga Vailoa. Next up, just finishing off with Larnell Coleman and Jared Dukes. Um you know it's hard to write off late round picks with Brian Flores and Chris Greer, because you could have done the same thing for Van Ginkle and Gaskin, and then look what happened. So you know, for Larnell Coleman, I don't expect him to have a starting role. I expect him to be a backup, someone that they can develop over time. Um, so I don't really have any realistic expectations for him as far as playing time. But for Jared Dokes, he's a guy that, you know, I, you guys know how I feel about running backs. If you can get a guy back there that just can read holes and won't fumble the ball, if you have an offensive line that creates holes, he'll be good. Miles Gaskin last year, you know, with a subpar offensive line, when he saw a hole, he ran through it, didn't fumble the ball. He was good. Caught balls out of the backfield. He was on pace to have 1,600 yards from scrimmage, which would have been the fifth most in the NFL, considering wide receivers, tight ends, everyone. That's incredible. So, you know, for Jared Dokes, if this offensive line is creating more holes than last year, I don't think it's out of the realm possibility to see him get more snap counts. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see him in there on those, 
you know, third and three, those second and four situations where he can run hard, but also he's someone that can catch a lot of balls out of the backfield. Um, you know, so I, I, while I don't have expectations of both of them starting, I just hope they can make the roster. It's not out of the realm of possibility for Jared Dokes to get some playing time over, you know, Patrick Laird's and Savon Ahmed's. We saw it with Miles Gaskin. 2019, he got more playing time. 2020, he was our best running back. So let's not give up on these sixth and seventh round picks just because they're not the sexy Jalen Waddles and Jalen Phillips. The expectation and the hope is hopefully they can make the team. And, you know, I expect Jared Dokes, hopefully he has some impact on the running game every now and then. Uh, but yeah, again, if they can just make the roster, that would be great. If they don't make the roster, oh well, sixth and seventh round pick. But, you know, again, Brian Flores and Chris Greer, their ability to coach up these guys in the late rounds. If you can get any sort of um, productivity out of a sixth and seventh round pick, it's a massive W. Like, Miles Gaskin is a massive win. Andrew Van Ginkle is a massive win. Because those guys are expected to hopefully just make the roster. Not be, you know, in Andrew Van Ginkle's case, the reason why Van Noy is no longer on the team. Or in Gaskin's case, be projected to be the fifth most productive player through 16 games in the NFL. Like, that's incredible. So I'm not going to discount Jared Dokes and Larnell Coleman, but my expectation real, realistically, hopefully they can just be guys that make the 53-man roster and, you know, in Jared Dokes' case, contribute every now and then in running situations. You know, whether it's second and four, third and one, whatever it may be. On screen passes, you know, I think he could be really good. So that's my expectation for those guys. So overall, if you can't already tell after, you know, a 20 minute long analysis of all the draft picks, I don't, I don't expect every draft pick to come out and be the greatest player of all time at their position. You know, the Jalen Waddles floor is Tyreek Hill. That's a stupid argument. That would basically be saying that Jalen Waddles is going to be one of the greatest receivers of all time. If his floor is Tyreek Hill, yeah, you're basically saying Jalen Waddles is going to be one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. I'm not going to come out here and say they're going to have you know, Jalen Waddle's going to have 1,500 yards, 12 touchdowns, yada. No. Like, would I love if that happened? Of course, and I hope it does. But realistic expectations, look, I just want these guys to go out there and I want them to be good football players. The stats, whatever that whatever that means, that'll take care of itself. But if they can go out there, if they can be dominant and productive and make an impact at their position, that's all you can hope for. Can you go out there? Can you be productive? Can you not be a bust? And if you get 10 sacks, if you get five sacks, if you're, if you're creating a lot of pressure, good job. Awesome. You're doing your job. If Jalen Waddle is causing a lot of double teams because he's so explosive and that opens Will Fuller up for a 75 yard touchdown. Good job. You did, you did your job. If Hunter Long goes out there and has good productivity on third and three and the run game, good job. You don't need to have 12 touchdowns. Awesome. You did your job. Javon Holland, another guy like if Javon Holland can go out there and just be a better safety than what we had, where you just understand the safety position better than Bobby McCain did like good job. Great. You don't need to go out there and have an Ed Reed season in your first year. So, you know, those are my expectations. 
I, I hope the best for all of them, and I expect them to be good players. Again, that was my favorite part about the draft is that I felt like the Dolphins got a bunch of players that project to be good players. Now, how good they'll be, I don't know, but you know, I think they, they got a lot of players that are going to be solid starters at worst, and they got a bunch of guys that can start right now. So really, overall, I expect to have five starters on the team. Call it wishful thinking. I expect Jalen Waddle and Jalen Phillips to start. I expect Hunter Long and Liam Meikenberg to start. And Javon Holland, does he start for Bobby McCain? Does he start at nickel? Does McCourty play for McCain? You know, that's a question. But I believe the Dolphins, if they can get five starters next year out of this draft class, that's going to be a huge success. And that's my expectation for the 2021 NFL draft class. Hope you guys enjoyed. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, I plan on doing another podcast on Wednesday. The schedule is going to be released on Wednesday. I'm super, super, super excited to see who we're going to be playing in the first ever 17 game season. Um, I'm not, here's the thing I am not going to look at the Dolphins schedule until I do my podcast. Like, as soon as this the, the schedule is released, you'll see me setting up my computer. Well, you won't see it, but <laughs> I'll be setting up my computer and doing a podcast live, um, a live reaction. I'm not going to look at it, analyze it, and, and you know tell you guys what I think after I got to look at it for a long time. I'm going to give you guys my, my honest opinions right away. And I can tell you right off the bat, like I hope that we get more primetime games because we saw that in 10, in, in 2008 or what was it? 2016, when the Dolphins went 10 and six with Adam Gase, the next year they got a lot more primetime games, which kind of showed that they were frauds because they didn't do well in those games. But I expect the Dolphins to have a lot more primetime games this year. And I hope that we play well in those primetime games. Cause until you can learn how to play well in primetime, until you can learn how to beat teams in your division consistently until you do that you're you're not proven so hopefully the Dolphins get that opportunity this next year but we'll see schedules released on Wednesday May 12th so be sure to check out the podcast on Wednesday because I'll be doing a live um, authentic reaction to the 2021-2022 NFL schedule thanks for listening hope you guys have a great rest of your day fins up